But that yeah. was a good video from our end as well. Yeah, oh yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> it was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, for those, have you seen it, Joel? Which was that? Sorry, we did a video. Uh, well, Matt and, Matt and Nico did a video uh, reacting to the Premier League uh, <laughs> yeah. predictions that we made last season. There was Sebastian Haller love, wasn't there? There was, yeah. yeah, yeah Maybe too much. <laughs> Way too much. Yeah, I was, I was uh, biting my fist at how confidently I said City would win the league again. Yeah. For the third year running, the champions of the Premier League will be Manchester. To see. That was the it thing. You, you almost so arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> Me arrogant. Never. <laughs> oh, that's what I found the funniest. It was so good. <laughs> uh, well, there was a little sly smirk on my face when you said that. To be fair, <laughs> hindsight. Eh? <laughs> hindsight is a wonderful thing. I also love that Dan was really confident about City winning. Get away! Yeah, the fifteenth year in a row. In a row. Mm, no. That's what you get. But at least you can play Champions League for another yeah. reason. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Welcome to the One Football Podcast. Uh, fans of the new format of the show we've been doing recently will perhaps be a little disappointed to know that it's going to be more of a sort of classic style episode this week. Uh, but fans of the Premier League will be pleased to know that we're doing a big re review of the Premier League season. And to join me for that is Matt Froelich hey. and Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So we're going to talk about all 20 clubs in the Premier League today, starting at the top of the table and working our way down. So my first question for you, Joel, is what do you make of Jordan Henderson's Footballer of the Year award? Has he actually been <laughs> Liverpool's most important player this season? I think that's, that's a very, very loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know what, I wouldn't say he's been Liverpool's best player this season, but I, you know what, I think he has been Liverpool's most important player because, you know, People don't watch Liverpool every week. Maybe don't see the effect he has on the team. To be honest, when he's not in the team, you notice a visible, real difference. Because for one, he's cheering everyone up, and if you know people need cheering up, he will get the players up to their level. Uh, he's always in the referee's ear, which mm. I think is an underrated trait in a footballer. Um, but it, it, it's just his, his energy, and, and he sets the tempo, and, and it doesn't necessarily dictate the tempo on the ball. But if if we need to sort of get our levels up, he he, he brings that up. He, he's he's become. I hate using the word leader. I hate using the word true leader because it gets you branded around a lot. It just means someone who claps really hard, doesn't it? Basically? Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. But he has he has led Liverpool to the league title. You know, it has been a big team thing. But I, I think. Henderson's importance cannot be understated. You know, when you talk about best players and, and players winning awards, you know, I can see why people have a, you know, would disagree with Henderson being given something. Obviously, he's taken a lot of stick down the years of opposition fans and Liverpool fans, to be honest, for his ability. But he's really improved in that aspect of the game as well. But it's it's also just that Liverpool players can look at him when they need they need a bit of help, and and he's just there, and he really does shine through for the rest of the team. Mm. What do you what do you think, Matt? Um, I think, like Joel said, it's kind of there's always loads of players in each team that are more appreciated by your own set of fans because there's so much more that Henderson means to Liverpool from an outsider point of view. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne was by far and away the best player of the season, mm. uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but yes, yeah, so the sort of the geeing up of the crowd and the being a captain and all the stuff that he means to Liverpool, you can't really quantify it unless you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah. The big so loser in all this is Sadio Mane, I think. You reckon? Yeah, I think he's been brilliant. I think he's probably been Liverpool's best player, Joel, do you think? 
I you know I would agree with that completely. Uh, I think the thing is with Mane, he doesn't necessarily always score the winning goal, but if Liverpool are behind, he will. He, you know what? He regularly scores the equalising goal. Mm-hmm. So he is someone who can take the game by the, you know, if you want to use a cliche, scruff the net kind yeah. of thing. He, he, he is one who does that. He's he's, he's brilliant. But I, I think the thing is with Liverpool, and when you want to talk about players being best players, whatever, I, I think you can have an argument with even throwing. You know Van Dijk or Alexander Arnold in yeah. there, and then you're not even mentioning the likes of Mohamed Salah. Yeah. In, in any conversation this year, Salah's yeah. not been mentioned. I was talking to Phil about this the other day because he put him, uh, Phil Costa, our colleague, put him in his team of the season, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not sure about that really." And he was like, "He scored mm. like 19 goals and got 13 assists or something this season. His numbers were incredible again, but it just kind of normalised that brilliance now, hasn't it? Really, it's exactly that, and I, I think that Liverpool players are doing that. Alexander Arnold is doing that, and. and in fact, let's not forget Alexander Arnold is twenty-one years yeah. of age, um, but it's also it's it's the, it's the team of Liverpool. So if you if you're not, I, I don't think a lot of the players are going to win individual awards this year because they've not necessarily. Even though Manny's been brilliant and Henderson's been brilliant in my eyes, they've not necessarily been the standout players of the of the whole league because the whole team, the whole collective works. Liverpool. That's why they've achieved what they've done because everyone works for each other and he. They all cover each other's backs and that, and that, that kind of thing. It's uh, the whole what Klopp set up there. That that's why they're all brilliant because the team is brilliant. Mm. Well, Liverpool got 196 points in two seasons now. How many will they get <laughs> next season, Matt? Are, are they going to drop off? Do you reckon? Um, I can't. This is a thing. I can't see much changing. I mean, so much has has been said. How do you improve that? How do Liverpool go about the transfer window? Do you sign squad players? Do you let the squad players go? Um, I would say that at some point there's going to be an injury. And I think it's quite overlooked that the Klopp picking the same eleven. I mean, it picks itself. Mm. And he's, he's able to do it so regularly because without injury and there aren't too many bits of rotation within the squad that I can think of. Mm. Um and they're in a very fine balance where Origi and Shakiri know that they're lucky to be at such a top club and they won't, every every time they leave that club, it'll be a step down. Mm. Um, and so I just think, I think they can do it again because the squad will stay the same, the team will stay the same. Um, but certainly I think it will be, I, it would be more... It would be more likely that another team or another quite a few teams in the league, namely the likes of City, Chelsea and United, are stronger and are maybe able to take more points off Liverpool than they were this season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you saw the, the way City dropped off this season after two incredible campaigns. I don't know, mm. I don't feel like Liverpool are going to do that really, but then I didn't think City were going to do that last, but, last summer but, either. So. But the thing is, the way you saw it at Dortmund with the mm. way that Klopp set up his team, they had that period where they were phenomenal. And then I think it was his second to last season um, when they were in the relegation zone. For most yeah. of it. I don't think that's going to happen to Liverpool. <laughs> um, you never know. But you know what I mean? That, that His style of play relies on the fact that all of the players in that team are either incredibly fit youngsters or they're in their prime. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. not, there's not the situation of a Fernandinho or an Otamendi or... As Leroy Sane leaving, or how many years has Aguero got left? It's not quite the same at City, where they do have a few decisions to make in the transfer market concerning mm. a few older players who might not fit into the system. With Liverpool, I mean, who's the oldest player? Is it Van Dijk at twenty nine? Aside Milner. from Milner, I mean, 
Oh yeah. Um, in the regular starting lineup, Henderson's thirty, isn't he? So yeah, you're probably looking at Henderson. Okay, there you go. So yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. You know what I mean? With with City, with a few. I mean, Fernandinho's thirty-four, Silva's thirty-four, I think. Mm -hmm. Thirty-three. So there's there's yeah. I still think there's probably one or so um, more seasons that they can continue this intense style of play, but. If they don't have a big transfer, you would assume they drop off. Yeah. Well, you mentioned David Silva there. He said farewell to Manchester City after 10 years at the club and farewell to the Premier League. Where do you think he ranks on the list of the Premier League's all-time greats, Matt? Is he is he one of the best players? Is he the best player? <laughs> you know, I thought about this the other day. I was having a long think about it. Um, what else do I have to think about? And, uh, <laughs> and I realised that to become a Premier League great, there almost needs to be a, a time a certain passing of time before people look back fondly. It's like people never realise it in the moment that, oh, he's a legend. You know, when you talk about legends, everyone will say Van Nistelrooy and Vieira and, mm. you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And it feels like we can only call him a legend after he's been gone for five years. Because it doesn't <laughs> feel right to call someone a legend who's still there yeah. or just left. Having said that, there is no doubting what he's done over the space of 10 years. That, for me, is the real hallmark. Like, you know, you can do something great once or twice a season or two, but 10 years' worth of consistency mm. is just... To call him anything but a legend is, is, is probably very offensive to him. <laughs> Not that <Yeah>. he'd care. <laughs> well, here's a question that I threw out on Twitter yesterday that, that uh, a few people said was a very tough one to answer, so I'll put it to you two. So, you can only have one of these players. Who do you pick? Peak David Silva, peak Yaya Torre, or peak Kevin De Bruyne? <laughs> Joel, you can take oh, the wow. lead on that one. That's a horrible question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, personal preference, and you know, I mean, obviously we're talking about it. I would go peak David Silva, and the reason for why is that I just is it, all three of those players mentioned there are all, all different in, in a way. The subtle differences and little nuances, but they are all different. The thing is with Silva, he sort of came at a time when the, the number ten or that type of player had not really flourish in England for, you know, not regularly anyway. I know Arsenal had a lot of those type of players and maybe played in different positions. Um, but but Silva was the first one that sort of came in in a long time that came in and, and, and sort of, I know when he arrived, a lot of people have written him off because he's very slight and he's very small and they're like, well, there's just no way in the big, barely Premier League and mm. Silva's going to be able to do what he did at Valencia. But he did that and went up like ten levels. He was, he's brilliant. And I just always remember, you know, every time City came to Anfield and Silver always seemed to have a good game. And City never won, so that's fine. But um, Silver, um, it just, it's just it so so luxurious on the ball, mm. and like it's it's just it's just beautiful. That's what I'd say. It's, a fucking sexy footballer. <laughs> that's probably the best way to describe. Him. Whoa, like, calm that, down, that, there, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Have a glass no, of water. We're, talk, we're talking free watershed here, but um, <laughs> that's the That's why I'd go ahead of everyone else. <laughs> sexy footballer. Fair enough for you, Matt. Um, I'm just gonna go De Bruyne again. I kind of agree with Joel. They're all slightly different. They'll bring something new, but I, I really like the way De Bruyne plays, and I think, I don't know, he's got that sort of special. There's a special quality about him. I think I'm trying to think of someone who's similar to De Bruyne. Gerard. Mm. Yeah, I would say that De Bruyne maybe has a little bit more technique on some of his on some of his passing. Yeah, yeah. Gerard could drill it. Don't 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 get me wrong. Um, 
you know, Joe is the better goal scorer, but I've just in in this in this kind of day, I think there are quite a few Spanish players who can play like David Silva. And I think signing a replacement, I know that Ferran Torres has been linked with him. He's not directly the same as Silva, mm. but I think you'd probably find someone who's got his style of play. I can't think of anyone who mirrors De Bruyne mm. um, too much, or Yaya Torre for that matter. I mean, but yeah, no, I'm going with De Bruyne. No one had a season like Yaya Torre had in 2013-14. Yeah, yeah. And that was like mm. one of the most dominant seasons you've <laughs> ever seen from a midfielder. He was, he was on fire that year. Yeah. But the, uh, the poll that I ran... On Twitter, uh, De Bruyne got 43% of the vote, Yaya Torre got 40% of the vote, and Silva only 16%. Ooh. So, I mean, I think... Recency bias. Possibly, That's yeah. Down possibly. No. I mean, I, I would probably go for De Bruyne as well, because I think he's the best midfielder in the world by yeah, quite yeah. some distance at the moment. Oh, and I don't think you could ever have really said that about Silva and, and Yaya Torre as good as they were. But then maybe it is a bit of recency bias. Maybe it's the fact that Silva was up against Xavi and Iniesta when he, you know, <laughs> when he was at his peak. Mm. I don't know. It's a hard one. Let me talk! Let me talk! Let me talk! So let's just agree to disagree on that one, I think. <laughs> uh, Manchester United finished third in the end. Has Ole Gunnar Solskjaer done a great job? Or is uh, United finishing so high kind of symptomatic of the lack of overall quality in the Premier League this season, Joel? I mean, they got 66 points this year, which is the same as 2018-19, and they finished sixth that year. Does that I... tell us anything? I really, I do want to lay into United because it's nothing I enjoy doing more. But um, I don't think I can. I don't. I don't think you can sit there and and and, and criticize Solskjaer to the hills. Um, he's he's done a good job this season, and you know, I I think he's he's been through the ringer a bit because you know he struggles. He really had a few struggling patches this last year, and then you know he they tailed off last season. I did wonder whether he's. You know he should be in that role, but mm. you know, you know, my United back in the Champions League, and it's it's not obviously where they you know they don't want to be celebrating finishing third every season. That's not what my United are about. But it's it's a start. It's it's it's, a, it's you know the first step on the path to towards getting back to where they want to be. Um, is Solskjaer the man to eventually even there? I would say no, but at the moment he's proven that wrong because he's doing exactly what he needs to do. Um, you know, the question about sort of saying is that is it symptomatic of the quality and the lack of quality in the Premier League? I mean, you know, Man United got a great team, and it's you know what, you know, you're not hard pressed to say they probably are the third best team in the Premier League. You know, they've just you know, you've got players like Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, Rashford. You know, it's that's they're not bad players. You know, they 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 are a team that resemble being third in the Premier League. They probably deserve it, but yeah, it's. Yeah, I would say it reminds me a lot of when Liverpool finished uh, in the Champions League on the last day of the fifteen sixteen season. It might be sixteen seventeen against Middlesbrough. Um, we sort of we've not been in there for a long time. So when we finished there, we've celebrated like it was maybe like a title win, <laughs> and obviously that is a bit embarrassing in hindsight, but. Um, Three years what, later, look where you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's it, it's getting back onto onto the horse, let's say, and you know that, that's what United needed to do this season. It's mm. been a long time in and out of the Champions League and Europa League. They need to get back onto the horse. Yeah, I mean, I can't help feel you know I I don't uh, you know particularly like to see Manchester United doing well either, um, and I can't help but feel that the sort of you know getting in the Champions League might have extended Solskjaer's stay at the club a little bit, and I feel like. They are just sort of holding themselves back as long as he's the coach. I think he does deserve credit for you know the sort of nineteen match unbeaten run they've gone on this season, but he's not he's not it for me. I don't think, and he never he never will be. And I think they're going to find out soon enough that he's not it. But good luck I, to I, him. 
I would say exactly the same, mate. But the, the, the thing is, you know, what he's going to have to sort of overcome now is Man United being favourites in, in, in games against teams that are going to be a low block. And mm. United have been great on the counter-attack this season, but they do struggle when they've got to break down a team that will just come to sit and defend. But if he, if he overcomes that and he keeps developing as a coach, which I guess he has done this season, we have to say that. Mm. If he keeps doing that, then... Now we can't argue with it, but yeah. yeah, I still think he will hold them back as well. Well, let's let's see what they do this summer then, because you know if they go into the transfer market and sign Jaden Sancho, new centre back, possibly a new goalkeeper. I mean, despite Solskjaer's limitations, could they be tra- title challengers next season, Matt? Um, I would think so. Yeah, on paper, and yeah. I think I, I kind of agree with you here. For me, it seems like there's different managers for different stages of a team, and just like. I, Literally, just what Joel said. When when you're the underdog and you're a bit of, you know, you, you may be not expected to do so well, um, and people look at you and think, oh, is the squad that good? Or your manager's not that great? And he shows them up and he punches. Fine, great. Get them into third. Pull off a bit of a surprise. But when you've got big names and big money and you're expected to challenge for the title because you've spent a hundred million on Sancho and whoever else, um, then it becomes a different, you know, a different kettle of fish. I think. The big players are the biggest egos. When times get rough, they're looking for a strong manager um, and someone that they can rely on and someone they know who's been there before. And I'm not sure, you know, if if they were to look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and be like, you know, right, how are you going to get us out of this mess? We're, you know, we're, we're challenging for the title for the Champions League here. He's going to go, oh, well, you know, one time I did this good thing with Cardiff hmm. <laughs> or, or, or Mulder. It's not quite the same as if, if they were to look around the dressing room and suddenly they've got, I don't think who's available, Allegri, Pochettino, or someone like that shouting at is, is, is the one that's crying out for me, Pochettino. Mm. I mean, true. I mean, Pochettino didn't obviously didn't win anything, but I think yeah, I, I would say Pochettino as well. Certainly from where he took them, where he took Spurs. Mm. Um, but yeah, there needs to be that sort of level of respect and understanding. And I think if you were to translate. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer into a player, so a player who's got a few years' experience, quite young and experienced in his role, you wouldn't put so much pressure on him in the crucial moments. And I think the same thing kind of wouldn't happen as a manager. You know, there there seems to be, you know, there's the manager that will get you out of relegation, there's the manager that will help you push into Europe, and there's the manager that will win you titles. And I think for Ole to just switch to becoming that title manager, Mm. you know, it doesn't just happen in the course of one season. Klopp moved into teams like Dortmund and with Liverpool and kind of made it happen over four or five mm. seasons. And I don't think any big signing is going to change that. Unless Sancho just becomes the next Ronaldo immediately <laughs> next season. <Yeah. laughs> but you know what I mean? That's pressure on him too. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's been talk about Chelsea potentially t- challenging for the title next season. They mm. finished fourth in the end. How do you rate Frank Lampard's first season at the club overall, Matt? I mean, he seems to get a lot less criticism than Solskjaer, really. Why do you think that is? He does. I think... I think there's something um, there's something more to do with the culture kind of at Chelsea and the fact they had a transfer ban and there seems to be it seems to be easy to build a sort of propaganda for Lampard um, and the fact he's playing at our youth players even though as you say rightly so Solskjaer did the same um, I just think that with with Chelsea he's really it looks like he's been there a while and there hasn't really been that negative period that Solskjaer had. When Solskjaer came in, it, you know, in mid-season, there was, do they hold out for um, Pochettino? This is when Solskjaer came in. You know, do they give him a go? He did good. 
um, you know, the first half of many games and then things were going pretty poorly towards the end of last season. And he always seems like, you know, they took him from Mulder. He always seemed like a, um, a quick fix. But with Lampard, they had the whole of last summer. You know, Conte left, mm. I believe, after the FA Cup final last uh, season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, what, Conte... what season Conte left? Uh, it was Sarri last year. Sarri, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Totally forgot. Europa League final. I threw you off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, so left after the Europa League final. Well, Chelsea had a summer. They could have spoken to big names. They could have done this. They could have done that. You know, um, they could have done all sorts. But they stuck with Lampard and they went with him and said, you know, the transfer ban, whatever. You've got these players and you could bring through these guys. And I think. Chelsea really made a statement by hiring him and United sort of turned into a statement over mm. time is, is sort of the difference between the two. But I think Chelsea have done fantastically well. Look, if they finish in the Champions League and win a trophy, um, depending on when you're listening to this, after the FA Cup final <laughs> um, against Arsenal, that's that's a phenomenal season by, by I think, anyone aside from City or Liverpool standards. Champions yeah. League and, and the FA Cup, I think... Every other team would take that. They would have taken that at the start of the season, wouldn't yeah. they, for sure? Yeah, especially with that transfer ban. Uh, exactly. One player who's who's done very well for them this season is Mason Mount. Joel, he scored a beautiful free kick on the last day of the season against Wolves. Do you think he's got what it takes to be a major player for Chelsea in the coming years? Mm, I'm, I'm sceptical. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's obviously got a lot of quality um, and it's it's always nice for, for fans when, you know, a young player comes through and, and you know flourishes in the team, especially if they're a player who can affect the game in the way that Mount does. You know, you know he's attacking midfielder, or you know plays in midfield free, and he he can win games, or he can play the pass to win games. My my thing with him is, I just if he has shown enough quality, I do wonder whether he would be going for Havertz as much as they are. And I actually wonder whether Mount will actually get game time next season. Mm. I, I'm concerned for him because I, I know I, I do think there is quality there. Um, whether it's enough to be a top four player or, or play regularly for a team of finish in the top four, I'm not so sure. But if the if, if Kai Havertz does come in, which it looks like that's going to happen, he's you know he's, he's going to play in number ten role, obviously, or he, you know he's got the most advanced eight of a midfield three. You know, amounts. I don't think he's strong enough, or got the physical aspects to play in a double pivot. You know. Behind them in the two, um, you know, does he play off the left? I don't know because where, where you know Pulisic and Zayek, <laughs> yeah, Chelsea got some players. Yeah, um, well, got no got, defenders got or, nice goal, defender. or a shit goalkeeper, but we've got. <laughs> 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 well, maybe Mount can reinvent himself as a wing back. Who knows? But um, no, I, I, I don't think he has to be honest. Dan. No, I, I know I'm worried for him. I, I think it's still, there's a maybe not now, but if we're talking six months time, I wouldn't be surprised if Mount is, is going somewhere else on loan mm. for the rest of next season because he needs to get games. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, what what I would say to that is that the, the schedule is going to be so packed next yeah, season yeah. that clubs are going to have to rotate a lot. You know, maybe that will be good for a player like him. Maybe he will get a fair amount of game time. We will see. Uh, Leicester end up finishing fifth uh, after that late season collapse from them. But Matt, do you think that we've been too harsh on Brendan Rodgers you know, was Leicester finishing fifth about right for where they are as a club? If you'd said at the start of the season they would finish there, you would say, oh, they've had a great season. Yeah, this is the thing. I've got a couple of Leicester mates and they all say the same thing. You take fifth at the start of the season, but having been in third for so long, <laughs> you don't you don't accept um, the collapse that happened after the restart. I think with Leicester, they're at, they're at a very pivotal point at the moment where they have a good squad going forward. 
um, sort of looking to the next few years and they either convince them to stay by building on it or they lose them all. Mm. You know, when, when, when you sit down and Chilwell says, right, I want to go to Chelsea and, you know, whoever, Tielemans and Madison and Harvey Barnes have seen Berlin with a few moves, Ricardo Pereira, Soyuncu. If, they, if, if Leicester say, you know, stick with us, we're improving the team, we're putting some big money into it, the Europa League's just the start, um, maybe they can tempt them to stay and build a squad. But if, if those kind of players don't believe in what's happening at Leicester and they don't believe that Brendan Rodgers is going to be there and, you know, get a big transfer budget, I can see them all individually being picked off and that will, yeah, that will certainly, certainly damage damage the team that they are at the moment because as much as there seems to be a love-in with Leicester, everyone seems to enjoy them, <laughs> you know, the, the Premier League fairy tale story. Like I always say with, with big teams who maybe have fallen out, like Arsenal um, and when Manchester United fell out the top four a few seasons ago, the attraction's still there. Are Leicester going to be as an attractive property if, you know, to, to potential players, if those kind of guys leave and, you know, if they're not looking to push on and get into the, to the Champions League? I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. Put it this way, I think an eighth place Arsenal are still a more attractive club and have better propositions and finances to offer players than a fifth place Europa League Leicester. Mm. But at least they've still got Jamie Vardy, eh, Joel? You know, he got the golden boot. He, uh, you know, that feels like a pretty... Phenomenal achievement from him. It's kind of gone under the radar a little bit. You know, he's 33 now. Do you think he's going to stick around, finish his career at Leicester? Or, if you're a Champions League club, would you look at maybe taking a punt on him for a couple of years? It really is remarkable, isn't it? I mean, it says a lot for Lucas Eid, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> Vodka and Skittles, but, isn't it? That's his yeah, circle of choice. <laughs> I mean, I, I do see him finish his career at Leicester now because, I've, you know, he had the chance to move on. After the you know they won the league, you know vainly he went to Arsenal. He went spoke to them and listened to what they had to say, and he, you know he's, he ended up signing a contract at Leicester. I think if he was going to make that move, he would make the move then. I, I don't see him going anywhere else now. Um, you know he can be sort of like you know the Premier League version of you know Immobile at Lazio, where he just seems to be getting older, but seems to always be near the top of the goal scoring charts every year. It's it is brilliant. I, I don't. I, if, you're, if you're a Champions League club looking for a striker, I don't think your first thought now would be Vardy, but he can still pretty much do the business in, in the role he does. But it, I think it works perfectly well for a Leicester who, you know, you know, even though they are getting better, not expected to win every game. So Vardy can be someone who hangs on the shoulder, and, and Leicester can, you know, they are a bit nicer with the ball nowadays, but they still very much rely on lumping the ball up to Vardy in the channels and getting the goals that way. Um, no, it's brilliant, but no, I, I think I think it's Leicester to the end of time now for him. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be uh, moving into an acting career when his uh, football career finishes. I don't know if you saw that uh, promo video he did for Leicester's new shirt sponsor, but it was very, very bad. Oh, hello. What's going on? Not much. That waiting for the foot one to get back to normal. How about you? Yeah, me too. Really missing you guys. Could really do with a break, though. So when are you coming to see me? Hopefully soon. But there's some work I've got to do first. So Adi. <laughs> <laughs> Worth a watch though. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, well, Spurs finished sixth in the end. Matt, how have you enjoyed supporting a Jose Mourinho team this season? Oh, there's two parts to that question. Have I enjoyed watching Tottenham or am I happy with the result? <laughs> because, because at times it's been um, very frustrating to watch. Um, but 
you know, Pochettino left when Spurs were 13th or 14th, and now they finished up in 6th. Over the last year, 6th isn't good enough for Tottenham, but, you know, having having seen what's gone on this season, I don't think it's too bad. Especially considering, you know, everyone's saying that Wolves and Sheffield United had the best season of their lives, and Arteta's at the wheel for Arsenal and all this nonsense. Um, you know, they finished 8th, and Spurs have finished 6th. So, yeah, I've I've been pleased. And I think there's some good stuff going forward, but I just Spurs are the one team who just don't seem to have good transfer windows. They just can't seem to comprehend the idea of buying who you need and selling who you don't need. <laughs> I don't know why every other club seems capable of identifying and recruiting the right players, but with Spurs, it's just miss after miss after miss. I think Lascelles has been brilliant, mm. and apart from that. I remember the last I mean, of Dombele, I thought that was the one for you last season when you signed Oof. him. I was like, finally, Spurs have got like a top-class player and he's been yeah. really poor, hasn't he? It seemed like we actually did it. And I, I always... It's probably the, the sceptic in me. I always get a little bit sceptical when Spurs sign players who are supposedly world-class or this top-level quality for a, for a decent amount of money and no one else is interested in them. Because I heard the Barca were interested in a few other clubs, and I think, what have they seen that has made them decide against it, against spending the money? Because if he really is all that, then why aren't they buying him? I mean, yeah. what on earth has Spurs got to offer that you know Barca or any other top team doesn't? So when he comes in, I think you know maybe maybe a few other teams saw that he wasn't quite out there in terms of work rate. Um, maybe he isn't wasn't fully committed and. You know, the, the, there's always something behind it that always concerns me. And I guess, I guess Ndombele was definitely one of them because mm. for Spurs, it, it was an amazing signing. But now he looks, yeah, it, it looks a bit difficult for him to work his way back in, in my opinion, certainly under Mourinho. Yeah. Mourinho was pretty bullish at the end of the season about, did he say that Spurs have got the uh, fourth best sort of form in the league since he came in or something like that? I don't even know if yeah. that's true. It might yeah, be it was nonsense, it, but <laughs> it was like third or fourth, and I just, you know, that's a, that's a, he spent too much time at Tottenham. That's a typical <laughs> Tottenham thing to say. You're making up a trophy that doesn't exist. <laughs> Get your DVDs out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Harry Kane sort of returned to form towards the end of the season with banging mm-hmm. in the goals. Are you concerned about that he might get itchy feet and want to leave anytime soon, or you think he's going to be okay um, for no? I'm not actually. No. Funnily enough, I think. In in a way, his injury um, problems, which he seems to have every season, are are going to hamper his chance of getting a big move. I think which which club, um, you know, if he's going to move, let's say I don't know Real Madrid or Manchester United or someone, for an injury prone striker, right? Who's who, to be fair is coming into his prime. I'm not sure they're going to want to pay what Daniel Levy wants. And it's, it's a classic sort of thing where what he's worth to Tottenham, which is probably, okay, we'll take away the COVID situation, but 120 to 150 million mm. for one of the best strikers in the league and potentially in Europe. Would you then say to a club, hey, I've got a top quality striker for you, but he's going to be injured for two months of the season and you're going to have to pay 120 million? I mean, Barcelona have done that with Dembele and that's backfired. Um, Real Madrid have done it with Hazard and that also you know, backfired with his injuries so I'm not sure that unless Levy sells him for cheap which I think would be an absolute heinous crime um, <laughs> I, I'm not too worried about him going because I'm not sure whether clubs would be interested to take that kind of risk so 
So yeah, he's one of the ones I'm less worried about leaving, to be honest. Fair enough. And uh, Wolves finished seventh. Joel, this might be a very unfair question, but I don't know. There's there's a lot of love for Wolves, and I understand it, but they finished seventh this year. Do you think they should be a little bit disappointed with that? Is that kind of about right for where they are, or should they have done a bit better? It's it's a Leicester paradox, really, yeah. isn't it? Where where they've been in the you know fighting for the champion, you know, pretty much the Champions League, pretty much all season long, and then at the last, oh no, seventh. But um, you know, the thing is, I think we can't forget that. They only came up to the Premier League last season. Mm. For them to have two successive, you know, top seven finishes in a row, that's that that is impressive for me. To be honest, you know, it's it's, it's looking. You know, unless Chelsea win the FA Cup final the weekend, they're not going to get into Europa League again next season, uh, which I think will be a you know a bitter blow for them because they've made no they've made no remarks about the fact that they they take the Europa League seriously and that's mm. where they want to be. It playing European football every season. Um, but it's, no, I I just think with, with Wolves, I think the, the squad, the, well, the, the depth in the squad will let them down at the end of the day. You know, the, the Nuno Espirito Santo, we only, you know, used 20 players regularly throughout the season. Before the end of the season, you know, threw a few more in there. But it's, you know, if they, if they get an injury to the, the likes of Jimenez or, you know, Traore, I, I think that they're looking at being a, you know, a serious problem. You know, if one of them's out for six months or whatever, you know they're going to have to maybe spend a bit more in the summer mm. to, just to broaden those horizons, to broaden those numbers if they want to go again next season. But I, I still think it's been a relatively successful season for them. Mm. And Jimenez might leave this summer as well, which could be a problem for them. But yeah, I think you've also got to remember if Wolves. Their season started about a year ago, didn't it? With the Europa <laughs> League qualifiers, I think it was like this week last year that they played their first game of the season or something. Yeah. So. It's been mad, and yeah, I think I probably am being a bit too harsh on them. Uh, but Matt, I'm going to let you be harsh on Arsenal now, if you like. <laughs> they finished ninth in the end. I mean, yeah, that's probably not quite not bad considering how how they started the season with Emery, and you know they sort of got it towards got it together towards the end of the season. How important do you think it is for them to invest in their squad this summer? And with a bit more time, could Mikel Arteta get them back in the top six or even the top four with the squad he has now? Because it doesn't look too bad on paper, really. I don't think their their team does it. This, this is the thing. I think I think um, Arteta and Arsenal certainly have a few years to grow into it, if if they're given the time. They've got some really really good young players. Arsenal, um, much like the likes of Chelsea and United have, but I don't think their more senior or prime players in the squad are quite are quite up to the level they should be. You know, when when you um, when you surround, I don't know, when Chelsea surround their youngsters with the likes of now Ziyech, but Kante as well. Um, with Azpilicueta and Marcos Alonso has had a good season in Jorginho. When United, you know, have their youngsters surrounded by Maguire and Pogba, it's fine. But when Arsenal's youngsters are getting into the team ahead of their atrocious defence, their defence are the <laughs> experienced old heads. Hmm. You know, they're the, they're the ones who should be, you know, Louise and Socrates and Mustafi and... Um, Tierney as well a little bit and you know Xhaka moving forward uh, certainly uh, Bamiang's had a brilliant season but I think they're yeah they're prime players who take on most of the slack and most of the effort for a large proportion of the season just aren't good enough and I think they don't they don't need to invest in their future because they've got some brilliant youngsters they need to invest now they need guys who are going to come in and be good from the off Right, whenever the season starts, was it September twelfth or something, thirteenth? Mm. Um, from that day one, you have a twenty-six to twenty-nine year old 
top quality European proven central defence and potentially fullbacks. Like they, I, I think their their transfer priorities are, are slightly different to others, but I think it's going to help them. Um, but unfortunately, the one problem is that they don't seem to have the biggest transfer budget. But um, but yeah, I think I think attacking wise, once they sort out whether Aubameyang and Lacazette are staying or going, I'd I'd see lots of reasons to be positive. Um, I just don't think they should expect such immediate turnaround like you would of Lampard and Solskjaer next year. Yeah, I mean some of their attackers, that Saka as well is is someone yeah, else. Quite, oh yeah, I, I really think there is something there with with Arsenal. You know. It, and Arteta's whether he deserves to beat Liverpool or not, in the space of four days, they beat the, the two best teams in the country. Yeah. Um, and and you can argue about whether they're lucky in some of those games or not. They were they were the better team against City, no doubt about that. Yeah. that the mm, first goal, sure. they, that first goal they scored is one of the best goals scored all season. Mm. Um, I, I, you don't do that if you've not got a decent team, or well, actually. Maybe a decent coach. I think we're not quite sure what Arteta's Arsenal is going to look like because you know those two wins have come where they've had to be disciplined and, and and solid behind the ball, which Arsenal has always struggled with, by the way. But I, I don't I don't think that's necessarily going to be what the blueprint of Arteta's Arsenal is going to look like eventually. But they've proven now, and and when they won away at Wolves as well, they've proven they can you know in the big games where they're points right on the line against teams that maybe above them in the table. They've proven they can go and get wins against them. I think that really counts for something. I'm, you know what? I'm not, I'm not concerned being a Liverpool supporter about Arsenal challenging next season, of course. But I would, mm. I'd be keeping an eye on them and where they're going to go next season. Mm. You, you might recall, Matt, when we did our pre-season predictions last year, we all said <laughs> Arsenal were going to finish in the top four, didn't we? Top four, City, Liverpool, Tottenham and Arsenal. Going to break in again. I think the top four is going to be City, Liverpool, Tottenham and this year, Arsenal. Liverpool, City, Tottenham, and you know, let's let's go with Arsenal. Good front line. Man City first, Liverpool second, Spurs third, Arsenal fourth. Top four will be Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Arsenal. I, I, I know we did because, as you say, on paper they've got some quality players. I just don't think the ones that need to step up, especially this whole Urzil situation, um, and Nicolas Pepe, and you know Lacazette, the ones who needed to step up haven't, and I think it's. It's shown, like how, if if the likes of Saka and Ketia, Martinelli, Willock, Maitland-Niles, if they're getting in the team regularly ahead of established internationals, you've got to start to question what these internationals are actually doing. Yeah, I mean, good faith from Arteta, but you know, if you if you're a 28, 29 year old and a kid's playing ahead of you, you should start to consider. Um, what you're doing at the club or how to get better and fast. <laughs> yeah, well, Arsenal finished eighth in the end, not ninth. I do apologise because it was Sheffield United who finished ninth. Mm. Be honest now, Matt, did you even expect them to stay up before the season began? All three promoted sides. Villa have done a ridiculous window, spending over 100 million like Fulham did last year. And Norwich and Sheffield United have signed not Premier League quality players. Uh, no, I did not because you saw that in the video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit, and I've, I've looked a bit uh, recently into Sheffield United, and it is very true. If, and I, I must admit, I hadn't watched them much in the Championship or League One. For those of you who did watch a lot of Sheffield United, this may not have been a surprise the way they played football because Chris Wilder's really implemented it into the, into the team and he's stuck with it. And I think that's what's, you know, that's all, all, always the gamble. When you come up from the, from the Championship, do you stick with the players who got you there or do you, you know, like Neil Warnock, buy, buy Paddy Kenny and 
stick your trust in the old faithful. You know, do you, do you stick with the guys that Norwich did it and it completely backfired? Fulham did it. You know, they stuck with everyone they knew and what they knew and how they played and they went down without a whimper. So I think it's actually very impressive from Sheffield United, but no, I definitely, definitely did not expect it. <laughs> but can they do it again next season, do you think, Joel? Uh, you know, I saw Chris Wilder saying the other day that he thinks he needs better players. Sort of suggests to me that he's a little bit worried about next season already. And it, you know, it's that second season syndrome, the old cliche yeah. that, that could mm. come back to, to bite him on the ass. The switch town effect, as I call it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of an old reference, that one. But I Mark love it. Shoe, it's one for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do. I hate to say, it, I, I do think they will struggle next season because teams have now got a year's data on them, and, and teams can prepare better. Because I think one of the, the things that they were doing is some surprise elements of the season because the way they play. You know, it's pretty much unique the way they set up and, and, and what they do with the centre halves. Um, but I think and Premier League teams haven't really seen that this season. But they now now they have now they've all played two games against them and, and they get to when they come to prepare next season and go listen to what Sheffield United did last season, and and they can prepare better for. And I think unless Wilder come you know goes and makes big moves in the transfer market to. To take that level of play up another level, um, I, 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 you know, I think they're looking at bottom half next season, sadly. Mm. But obviously, we also the same this season and we surprise us. So let's hope. Yeah, I mean, just being a Premier League club is is a boon for them, isn't it? Really. Exactly. So, uh, finishing slap bang in the middle of the table is Burnley. Uh, I think that's a pretty impressive achievement from them. Matt, do you think you know Burnley, unfashionable club, Sean Dyche, unfashionable manager? Does he not get the credit he deserves for the job he's done there? Um, I, th- I think he does. He doesn't always get the credit he deserves, but like I was briefly mentioning earlier, he's that sort of manager. He's the manager where if, if he's having a bad season, Burnley finish 15th, and if he's having a good season, they finish 7th. But he's not going to take them any higher. So this is sort of where you'd expect them to be. They're not big spenders um, in the Premier League. Don't spend anything, the fact... really. No. I think mm-hmm. I, I read earlier that they got the best um, points per wage bill in the league this year. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think as I say, they've done very well. But I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how we take them to the next level. I mean, unless he, you know, spends his days off studying the best coaches and suddenly turns into the ginger Mourinho, as they say. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure sort of where else they can go. It is a good season for Burnley, but I'm not sure they'll ever have a great season. You know, I'm. Not, I think, especially maybe not so much Sheffield United, but especially with Wolves adding their name into the um, to, to the mix when it comes to fighting for the top six or seven positions. If Burnley don't do anything, it's sort of they're just going to be sort of sat in tenth or eleventh, and I think that's about right. I'm not sure they've got the capabilities to go on further. Although I was very impressed with Chris Wood this season, the top mm. goal scorer, fourteen leagues. Yeah, that went under the radar a little bit. I think. Yeah, yeah. I really kind of that that sums up Burnley for me. He went under the radar. They went under the radar. Everything they do sort of seems to be very non-threatening. You know, building from that and you, you're getting old in through the rave scene as well. You know, that was a big era for me because I was kind of 17, 18, 19 around that period. So that was important, you know, musically. But um, yeah, I, I, I like Dice. Good, good, good credit to him. Um, but I certainly can't see him getting like a bigger move. You know what I mean? No one looks at that and thinks, oh, you know, he's the guy to take us into the top four or something. Yeah, I'd like to see him get a move somewhere else, actually, and just see what else he can do at a, a different club with a different challenge. Alice was I, the one being mal- um, touted. Who's Villa? 
Uh, Palace. Palace. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting, yeah. Be concerned whether it'd be a bit like we went out, Sam Allardyce was at Bolton, and obviously Bolton remind me of Burnley a lot, and Bolton break into the top six under Allardyce, mm. and then he gets to move to Newcastle, which was the most logical step of moving to you know, a bigger club, mm. and then obviously it went down the pan, and Allardyce obviously went on to great, have a great career, um, but <laughs> I do wonder whether Dice, it might be a bit of that, whether he's got, you know, up until now, anyway, he's had definitely he, he wants the whole environment of Burnley's worked for him, and now he's making sounds about wanting to be able to spend more. But I do wonder whether he goes to a new place, he's not able to get that same ethic and, and uh, a commitment from the players that he would get at Burnley. So, mm. but it, it, again, it would be fascinating, it would be interesting to see what he would do somewhere else. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Allardyce there, he had that sort of famous quote about uh, if my name was Sam Allardyce, Real Madrid would want me or whatever. <laughs> the best way to get a Premier League job is change your name if you're British to to uh, a foreign name. And I was always told if I was Allardyce, I could have managed Man United. So if it was Sam Allardyce, Allardyce, definitely. You know, I go to Ray and I'm not too, too bad, you know, so I'd be okay if I went to. The top. Maybe maybe if Sean Dyche's name was Sean Dyche, then <laughs> he'd be a bit more highly rated. Excellent. Uh, Southampton finished 11th. Uh, I think another club probably would have pulled the trigger after that 9-0 defeat to Leicester back mm. in October. They stuck with Ralph Hasenhutl. It proved to be a masterstroke, didn't it, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. After that 9-0, I was thinking there is no way you can look your manager in the face and be like, that's the guy to take us forward. <laughs> um, but But they did. I think... This is another one where they kind of believed in what he was doing, and I, I seem to remember at the time looking at the um, looking at the Leicester game and thinking, yes, they lost nine nil, but it, there was an unusually high amount of goals to, on the goals to shots ratio. I mean, I think they had thirteen shots Leicester, or maybe thirteen on target, which is you know other teams do that. I mean, sure, if you count how many times Liverpool you know had thirteen shots on target this season. For nine of them to go in. Well, do you know when, when City lost at Southampton a few weeks back, 1-0, yeah. City had more shots on target than Leicester did. Exactly, this is yeah. what I mean. <laughs> and it's just it just so happens that, unfortunately, one of these days, all of them are going to fly in. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that that's kind of what happened. But they obviously saw a good thing of what Hasnett was doing. Um, and there's a reason that they brought him in and backed him and they've got some good players. And I think... It's kind of easy to just say, oh, you know, Danny Ings, 22 goals in the league. Unbelievable return. It's easy to kind of pin it on a good goal scorer. But I think they've got lots of good players um, who have really put in good performances. I think Vestergaard has been good this season. Um, and I saw that James Ward-Prowse played every single minute of the Premier League this season, which I think, and now as the new captain, is kind of testimony to his consistency. Mm. So I think they've got some really good players. It's just kind of easy to... Um, yeah, it's easy to bring up the 9-0 and say he should have been sacked or bring up that Ings is just a goal machine. But I think overall, he does generally have them going in the right direction. Just there's the odd blip here and there. Yeah, well, there's that incredible stat doing the rounds on Opta the other day. So since, since Southampton lost 9-0 against Leicester, they went on to win a further 44 points, which is two more than Leicester managed <laughs> oh, since that go. night. So yeah, Leicester got 42 <laughs> since that, that 9-0 win. So incredible stuff. Here's a big question for you, Joel. Everton, I'm, I think you're going to enjoy answering this one. Are Everton cursed? <laughs> it's, what's, what's wrong with that club? They hire Carlo Ancelotti and they're still dreadful. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. You know what? Shardin for you, they can come back to, uh, to bite you, so I'm not going to enjoy it too much. But um, 
it's there. It's so strange what's going on there because when they hired Antelosi, I think a lot of people will, will look at that and go, "Well, hang on, something's going on here." They've managed to convince him to go there. There's obviously you know they've got a lot of potential, and I still think they have. I think Richarlison's a cracking player. He's got a big move in him. Um, I mean, Carl Loon's had a really, you know, maybe his break few season. Uh, we'll have to see how he goes on next season. Mm. But it's, I don't know. They, they just recruitment's really been, been really, really poor for some years now, and I think that, that that's what's coming to fruition. So okay, you've still got you know Richards and Carvalho, like I just said, but that midfield is is horrendous, and I think that that's what the fans are having the, the, the most bite with, because you know Tom Davis has you know he's a young lad who's who's coming to the scene from the club academy, and he's but he's not been able to resurface. But then you know. They spent money on Gomez and you know Fabian, you know brought some Fabian Del from City last season, and they they've not hit the ground running. Um, Gomez declined. I think sadly his injury might be having an effect on him. I hope he does. He is able to recover from that. But they've got a serious problem in goal as well, um, and that's really strange to say about the England's number one goalkeeper. <laughs> but I think he's been seeing the crime too much now. Oh yeah. He, you can argue that you know at Sunderland he was playing behind a, a bad defence, which he was, uh, and he can say that about all his years at Everton. But you know what? When when somebody when there's a shot gets broken into eight times, and the guy who lives upstairs is always on the scene uh, when the breaking happens, okay, you can say once or twice it wasn't him. <laughs> but I think uh, when it comes to the eighth time, I think it probably was him. To yeah. be honest, <laughs> I, I think I think that's what it is now with Pickford. I think they've got a big problem in goal. They've got a lot of work to do this summer, but I think goalkeepers don't need to make a priority. But they've got a world class coach now. I don't see them struggling. To the whole of next season, if he can get his grips onto that team and make them play the way that he wants them to play, they've got potential. Yeah. Well, our former colleague Elliot Bretland tweeted during their defeat to Bournemouth on the final day of the season. I've watched many rubbish Everton sides, but the decent ones lacking heart, pride, and fight are much worse. Is it as simple as that, Matt? Do you think are they just are these players just not up to the task in terms of desire? Honestly, that is completely and utterly what I think as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I see a lot of. Tottenham in Everton <laughs> a lot of a lot of 10 15 years ago Tottenham where you know everything's everything looks good on paper and you've got quality here and quality there but when it comes down to really sort of having the minerals for it and really having almost the arrogance and the belief mm. to you know I'm I'm not going to repeat what Jose Mourinho said I don't know if you've seen that video of um the Amazon documentary with him in front of the Tottenham players telling oh, yeah. what they need to be uh, <laughs> too expletive um, even for the watershed uh, that's that's pretty much what needs to happen at Everton there needs to be an arrogance and a belief that as soon as they go one nil down the game's not over you've still got time you know as soon as you go to a big club um, you know as soon as you come up against Liverpool or the Man United that you have got a foot in the game. You can have a say. There seems to be a really, a real lack of character. And I'm, I'm looking through the squad list at the moment. With Leighton Baines retiring, um, especially, I'm looking, you know, who's the one who's going to start knocking some heads in at half-time? Who's the one who's going to mm. start, you know, almost like we said with Henderson? Who's the one who's really going to set the tone for the, for the level of expectation and the character within the squad? And I just can't see it. You don't get it from your keeper. Who goalkeepers are notorious, you know, for having that self belief um, and being a big physical, 
uh, presence. Um, so are the centre backs as well, and I think Michael Keane not exactly uh, gives you confidence if you're playing in front or behind him. Yeri Mina as well. I mean, into the midfield, Sigurdsson doesn't know whether he's coming or going or which position he is. Um, and yeah, too many of them sort of look to shirk the responsibility. And you need... I'm trying to think of who they need. They need someone like the way that Grealish is performing at Villa. Just facing relegation, but just has such confidence and sort of drive within himself that he can drag the rest of his team up to a new level of performance. And when things go downhill for Everton, I'm wondering who they're looking to. Mm. That's been this a problem for years, though, Matt, because when, yeah. when, they, when they play against top six clubs, I mean, you look at their away record. They've not won at Anfield since 2001, have they? Or 1999, I think it is. Like, it's, like that. It, yeah. it's exactly like Kevin Campbell. But, um, but and so it, I think there must be a problem rooted within the club. But the, the thing is, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't concerned when they hired Ancelotti, but what I would say is that if, someone, if anyone's going to be able to riddle that out of them and, and get them to that level where they believe that they, they should be in the top six or fighting for Europe or fighting for Champions League. Ancelotti's going to be able to do that. But it, going off what they've done since the restart, it might be even beyond him. <laughs> but that's the thing. You'd think that with such a, a coach, a successful coach like Ancelotti, for sure. Um, but yeah, I just it, as, as you said before, it's, it's been a problem and the same thing happens to Spurs. You know, away to the big six, they've had... Um, I believe it is seven victories in the last 108 away matches against wow. the top four <laughs> for Spurs. And uh, yeah, as I said, that's why I see a lot of <laughs> Tottenham in Everton <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the quality's there, but the desire isn't always there. Well, I don't know if you remember the uh, famous clip from the Man City Amazon documentary of Fabian Delph, The Basics of Football. I'm just saying, it's the basics of football. When, when things go against us and everybody drops ahead, just remember the basics Winning our individual battles, sticking together as a unit, fucking defenders defending, midfielders box to box, keepers making just the basics of football. When we go behind and something comes against us, we freeze. And it's all we just need to get back to when something goes against us, think of the basics of football, just the basics. That's what they need, isn't it? The basics of football. Mm. This needs to show a bit more, bit more passion, lads. And exactly. uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, moving down the table a bit further is Newcastle. We all laughed at Steve Bruce taking over there last summer, but didn't do a bad job in the end, did he, Joel? No, I mean they probably finished exactly where they, they were meant to finish. You know, forty-four points, ten points ahead of the relegation zone. They've they've, they've done all right, I guess. But I think if you were going to ask a Newcastle fan that they. They would send to the barn. I don't think they've been very impressed with the football that's been on show. Um, and I, I do wonder with Bruce why, why for the majority of the season they played the way they have done. Because as soon as they were safe, pretty much since the restart, he, he puts them into a four-two-three-one formation, and, and he lets uh, Saint Maximan and Amaron sort of off the leash a bit. And, and they really impressed. Score three past Chef United and four past Bournemouth, and they put in some really good performances. And just that that proves that one, that team is capable of, of being attacking and being impressive, but two, that Bruce also against popular opinion and what he's shown for the whole of his career, he can set up a team to to be attacking and dominate games. And it's I just I just wonder whether you know. This summer, we, no one knows what's going to happen. Newcastle, this takeover, whatever. But if if Bruce is there to start, you know, on September twelfth, whether he's going to revert to tape again just to mm. get over the line and keep them safe, which is what what that is, Mo, that's his job. But you know, 
he's shown us now what he can do. Why why is he not going to start next season and go and do it again? Yeah. And then maybe you get a bit more faith from, from the Newcastle supporters. Give us some Kevin Keegan football. That's what the Newcastle fans want. <laughs> the Toon Army will get right behind you there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, another question for you, Joel. Uh, there was a point during the season when everyone was hailing Roy Hodgson for the miracles that he'd worked at Crystal Palace. And then they took just one point from nine games post-lockdown. Do you think he's taken them as far as, as he can? I think he has. And I think they've got an issue now where their squad is very top-heavy with with players who maybe got one or two years left in their careers as well. Again, it's Crystal Palace. they become an established Premier League team, but they haven't always been that. So maybe it is impressive that they you know, always seem to never really get pulled into relegation fights, as say, every year. Um, but... I think Hodgson's done as as well as he can. I mean, the man's probably comes to twilight of his career himself now. Maybe he's yeah. pat, well past that. I am not the biggest fan of Hodgson, so maybe I will leave those points out. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I think yeah. But the, the thing is, with Crystal Palace, they tried something new with with uh, Frank De Boer a couple of years ago, and that lasted four games. So it, it's if they are going to move on, they got to decide what you know where they see themselves, what they want to do. And what they want to go to, and you know, before they make any decisions on Hodgson, but I, I, th- I think, yeah, I think it's come to the end of his time there. To be honest, mm. uh, another man who might have come to the end of his time at Crystal Palace is Wilfred Zahar. Matt, he looks like he mm. needs a move. Spurs have been linked with him in the past. Would you? Would you take him at Spurs? Um, the thing is, Zahar. I think from what we've seen, certainly in the last few years, he seems to flourish when he's more of a star man, when he's the big fish, and you know. He gets the responsibility and gets a lot of the ball. Whether he'd be able to fit into a squad where he's going to be rotated and in and out and maybe not have the, the games to kind of feel his way into form. Um, as you know, in in various competitions, like what happened with the top teams, I'm unsure. I'm, I'm really not sure about it. And I think Tottenham have won too many of these players. Lucas Moore is another one. You give him some three or four games, fine. But, you know, with squad rotation, you don't, Always get three or four games to feel your way into some good form. The, the the problem is again, like I said, with the whole Harry Kane issue, that he's worth more to one team than he is to the other. To any team looking to buy Zaha um, in the top as a attacking starter, yeah, starter slash squad player. If you're paying more than 40, 50 million, you're getting ripped off. But to Crystal Palace, he's in the last years, often been the difference between them going down and not. And I think that could be worth up to 60, 70, 80 million for them. So I think they're going to have a bit of an issue with price. But it does look, uh, like Hodgson said the other day, saying he um, he thinks that he's got it within him to, to leave. Um, I think Zaha will be going. I'm just trying to think of where he'd, he'd play best, really. Yeah, Everton have been linked with him in the past as well. That might be a decent move. That, that, him, but... that is such an Everton signing. <laughs> they'll spend 50 million on him 50, 60 million on him and he won't really show up and they'll just be left with another one mm. I read that they want 40 million for him Palace which is oh, okay. you know, a lot of money but not that much yeah. in, in this mm. maybe economy. that's not so bad then maybe yeah. I was chatting a bit of rubbish more. <laughs> not for the first time that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Palace's rivals Brighton still don't understand why that's a rivalry but there we go uh, they sacked Chris Hewton after they got 36 points uh, last season and this season they got 41 points from the Graham Potter is that the kind of progress they would have been expecting do you think Joel? I, I think so I, I don't think you can look at it as, as points in a points thing to be honest I think Brighton made the decision last season they, they want to sort of develop as a team of 
certain style of play and you've gone and gone the man gone and got the man, should I say, sorry, uh, that's implemented that. And I think if again, if you were to get a Brighton supporter on the podcast and asking the question, they they would be happy if their season a Newcastle fan would be because they've they've seen their team play some really nice football, some really good football, and and it has been effective as well because obviously they stayed in the division. Now, okay, if we fast forward it 12 months time and they again finish 15th with 40 points or whatever, I think then maybe you go, okay, well, you know, we need to see a bit more progress because I think this is fine. They want it done this season because they've proven they can stay in the division by playing this, this style of football, by you know, being very progressive on the ball and, you know, playing a few more players further forward than maybe they should be playing. But again, what they need to see now is, is progress with it. So, you know, progress next year would be finishing 12th. Because again, what you can see is that Kate's working. It's, it's proven that it's successful in this division and that it, it could go places. They're never going to be able to go spend 30 million on a world-class player that would get them into the top half or, you know, invite for Europe. But if, if they keep playing this way, Players are going to want to go and play for Brighton because you know players are going to be able to go and express themselves there. And you know if you're given an option of playing for Brighton or Crystal Palace, Palace, okay, they might finish in the same areas of the table, but again with Brighton, you, you might be able to go and screw more goals and have more fun rather than you know be ten men behind the ball every game. So I think it's a successful season and for Brighton really. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, another team who had a pretty, well, I wouldn't say successful season, but successfully avoiding relegation at the end was West Ham. <laughs> David Moyes, Matt, football genius, discuss. I think I'd probably get the biggest win rate out of a certain amount of managers as well. So I think if you were, you're putting it that way, that's what I do. I win. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're sort of a poor man's Everton. And that's, you know, being nice to, to, to West that Ham. That is such a loaded insult, that, isn't it? That is. <laughs> but they are. There's big money. There's a big football club. There's big, big, big signings. And again, they just don't seem to have this this character within the squad. And also, they're not getting enough of a return, I think, as we um, were discussing beforehand, the Sebastian Allaire issue of, of everyone seemed to think what a fantastic signing he'd be after what he did with Frankfurt. Sebastian Allaire, straight up from Frankfurt. He's going to be, basically, you know what? Probably in winter transfer window, he's going to leave them again, go to United for 120 million. You know, it's just not enough. I mean, the fact that they're relying on Mikel Antonio for their goals this season, who finished very strongly. Um, if you take away those four goals against the relegated Norwich, he's got six. And I just, I just think there doesn't seem to be, again, that player that they look towards. And David Moyes, to me, seems like what he did at Everton was so good over those, what was it, 12 years? Um, but you just don't get that time anymore. That's the difference between now and then. Because when he took over Everton and the way he built them up, he could do the same thing at West Ham. With, you know, that they've got money for signings. You see that with the 40-odd million they spent on Allaire. They've got good players. Um, you know, the likes of Fournals is a great signing, where it looks like he would be. Uh, Lanzini's a quality player. Felipe Anderson can really turn it on, but is incredibly frustrating because he doesn't do it all the time. They've got some good players, but I don't think Moyes is going to get that kind of Everton time to prove to prove that he's a good manager because, you know, look, they finished a couple of points and a couple of places above the relegation zone. And if that happens next season and they're in the dogfight by December, January time, are they really going to stick with Moyes? Mm. You yeah. know, being relegated now is just a nightmare for anyone with that kind of wage bill and those kind of players. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do this summer, what sort of players they're going to bring in, I think. Mm. Uh, Aston Villa stayed up by the skin of their teeth, Joel. They were <laughs> celebrating it pretty hard in the dressing <laughs> room afterwards. Do you think they were right to do that? They got a bit of stick for doing that. Yeah, I mean, not every team can win a you know Premier League title every year, can they? You no. know, I have to get that in at some point. <laughs> um, I, I think we've, we've yeah, because to be honest, Villa their their task to start of the season was staying in the Premier League, and you know they achieved it last day. I think they were you know why not go and celebrate what you know the the world's not very nice at the moment. <laughs> you yeah. Take as much joy as you can. Yeah, true. I, I I do think they should be doing better. To be honest, Villa, um, they've spent more money than Wolves this season. I don't think it's necessarily worked. I'm probably looking at Villa through the, the tinted glasses of them being a big club, but that they were a big Premier League club for years, you know, who were regularly in the top six more often than Tottenham were. Um, but so maybe it, it is a little harsh, but I think the money they spent, Villa should have been doing better. But, you know, whatever, they can enjoy themselves. Yeah. <laughs> They've had a good day. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Dean Smith insisted Jack Grealish isn't for sale this summer. There's been other talks that they want at least £50 million for him, Matt. Would you understand if he asked to leave Villa this summer? I feel like he's just too good for them. You know, his boyhood club and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's probably time to move on. I, I, I was wondering whether or not he'd be hedging his bets on their relegation, thinking, you know what, I'm going to put some feelers out there to other clubs, maybe not expecting that they'd go and survive. Mm. Um <laughs> But yeah, certainly with a year coming up towards the Euros um, and maybe pushing into the England squad, I can't see... You know, Do, do you think Aston Villa are going to take a massive step up next season? I wouldn't have thought so, no. No, I wouldn't have thought so either, especially that they spent £100 million last season. Um, so Grealish has got the quality to go to a team who, you know, maybe even a Champions League team. Um, and I just... I just think that he, he'd be doing himself an injustice. And like you said, obviously leaving a boyhood club and doing so well with him and everything's great. I'm not so sure it would be a right step in his career just to, you know, if he sticks with it for another season, he either gets relegated or they finish 14th yeah. or 15th. I'm not quite sure what that's doing for him personally, especially mm. when there's so many clubs that uh, are going to offer him football. That's the most important thing. I'm totally against him, you know, doing a, a Jack Rodwell or a Scott Sinclair and just going to sit on City's bench. Mm. Um, I'm 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 all for him moving if he's going to get the football, and I think he is because you can see it. He's he's a player that needs to play. He's not an impact sub. Spurs, would you run there? Oh, for sure. I'm yeah. take him and help. <laughs> well, I, I gave him a few a few shots last night and got him to sign a new five year contract. So uh, uh, it's not been done yet, but he <laughs> <laughs> was written in Zambuca. I'm not sure if it was mine or his. Uh, Bournemouth are heading back to the Championship after five seasons in the top flight. Joel, is Eddie Howe still a good coach or is he a big old catfish? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think there's two things on this. So Bournemouth being where they were and spending five years in the in the in the Premier League is remarkable. And where Ed, when Eddie Howe came in and you know the, the League Two, the foot of League Two, taking them up, it's 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 football manager a game stuff, isn't it? Mm. But it also should be said that I think he has failed in the last couple of seasons, especially on the recruitment aspect. They spent a lot of money and paid big wages and big transfer fees. And there were still five, four or five players in that team that came up with them from, from League One and the Championship. They, they've not progressed enough. And, and you know Whether Eddie Howe's making those transfer decisions, it sounds like from the outside that he is, or he has done. I think that's that's proven that maybe he's just you know 
he's not developed as much as a really good coach. I, I think with with how now uh, the time has gone where you know he's getting into Arsenal job a lot. You know, last even last season England job I think at one point yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the time has, has gone now for him to get that move. Obviously, he's been relegated. I think with how I think just you know, just how maybe move on. I think he's taken as he's done as much as he can with Bournemouth. Maybe does he go abroad and try his wings there and mm. build his reputation back up because that's taken a bit of a battering. But I, I would say as a whole on Bournemouth, sorry, I think I think they're in, in serious trouble because they've spent you know these five seasons in the Premier League and they haven't got much to show for it because they haven't spent the money on on really flourishing out there, you know, stadium or the training ground. They've done a bit of work to the training ground, but not enough. But and they just got a big wage bill, and it came out yesterday that not a lot of them got relegation clauses in there that you know or percentage drops because of relegation. So it's going to be a bit of a fire sale this summer, you imagine. Mm. I don't think we're going to see them back up anytime soon. If if anything, I think we could be seeing a bit of a downward spiral for the mm. club, sadly. There was a story during the rounds yesterday that Nathan Ake, who's been linked with Man City this summer, um, he doesn't have like a, releg- a relegation clause in his contract, so they could lose him for like 10 million or something, 20 million. So, yeah, not very it's sensible. Not uh, speaking of teams who are not very sensible, Matt, Watford, they were outside the relegation zone when they sat Nigel Pearson with two games to go. They finished 19th. Is there relegation proof that their hire and fire and managerial policy is just deeply flawed? Yeah. Absolutely. I just I'm struggling to think of a team that just flies through managers like they do. <laughs> and again, I mean, what were they hoping for? Were they just hoping that the last two games they were going to get a bit of that new manager luck and just survive? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it really doesn't. They seem. To if that's the case, they could do it every game, couldn't they? Just have a different <laughs> manager for every game, <laughs> yeah. and they'd win the league. <laughs> they they seem to. For me, I've always thought Watford lack identity, and that yeah. often comes from a manager putting his style of play on the team. I just think, what is doing a Watford? What's a classic Watford goal? Hmm. What's what, who, Who's a classic, you know, Watford-type player? I just They just sort of lack any identity in any real direction. Um, you know, and, and the odd time they'll pop up with a great few players. And I think they should, especially the performance against Liverpool, they should have been doing better. Regardless of the manager who's in charge, I think they have quality players who just weren't putting in enough. Um, and unfortunately, I think much like with, with Bournemouth, they've got players on big wages and they're going to have to lose them. Um, as they drop down, I think Decore is one of them, who definitely won't want to hang around in the Championship for a season. Um, Ismail Assar as well. I think Troy Deeney pretty much said that, you know, it's been a good ride for 10 years. I just wonder, you're talking about maybe it being your last game for Watford. Could it be your last game full stop? You, I'm that not that old, cheeky bastard. Sorry, sorry, I shouldn't swear. Sorry, sorry. Um, and he's going to be leaving the club. I think Etienne Capoue's potentially got a move in him. Same with Will Hughes. They're looking at sort of stripping back quite a lot. I don't even know how they came up in the first place. Hmm. I'm, I'm really, you're really sort of struggling to see any sort of club identity. And like I say, they really, this whole hiring and then firing what are they going to do now they're going to hire a trusty old you know championship dinosaur that knows how to get them out of the yeah. division Neil Warnock's not been there yet yeah that's true <laughs> he's, well, he's just he's just agreed to stay with Middlesbrough for another year uh, true, true, um, yeah. but yeah like or, or are they going to go with a younger manager and say right we're going to build again and next time we come up we're going to make sure we've got an identity and a good group of players and we're going to really set aside a Watford style but some of their performances this season were just atrocious. <laughs> mm. 
Maybe it's big Sam Aladici's time to manage. Yeah, Watford. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, coming to the bottom of the table was Norwich, who uh, we knew were, were going to be finishing there for mm. quite a while. I saw lots of talk over the course of the season that Norwich are a better side than their league position suggests. Is there any truth to that, Joel, or is that a load of old bollocks, do you think? Um, there's an episode of Peep Show where Superhand says, Norwich are never going to win the league, but they still turn up every week, don't they? The pricks. <laughs> I think that's probably the best, the best description Norwich City ever heard. To be honest, I, I, to answer your question seriously, though, no. I mean, they, they they get that credit because they beat City at the start of the season, which looks like a remarkable result. Cheers for that, by the way. Um, yeah. But they, still they not over so, that. I never will be. I don't think. Uh, no, but they, they did. I, I can see why people came to that sort of that take because in that game they were brilliant. The pressing was brilliant. The football they played, and, and they, they came up and and. and kept their style of play. So, you know, when Matt says there about Watford not having identity, Norwich definitely had that because they still like to play nice football and, and press really high and, and don't just lump it up, they try and work it intricately. But the, the, the thing is, I don't think they, just, they didn't have the defence to, to, to cope with it. They, they conceded 75 goals and I think at the end of the day, that that's, that says all about, about the team. You know, you, you be as nice as you want, but if you can't keep it out the other end or at least find a balance sometimes, you, you don't deserve being in, in the league, sadly. Yeah. Poor Alan Partridge. It's him I feel sorry for the most. <laughs> <laughs> that was a negative, and right now I need two positives. You know, one, one to cancel out the negative and another one... I'm just not going to have a positive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's hand out some end-of-season awards then, shall we? Uh, so, uh, Matt, you can go first on this one. Player of the season for you. Oh, uh, Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne, like we said. I Joel? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go Sadio Mane, I think. I'm going to go Mane as well, actually. Mm. Yeah, I think he deserves it. I think it's got to come from the league winners, personally. But yeah, just... I, I, I can see why De Bruyne might win it. I think, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be the, the worst shelves in the world, but... You know, I, I I think you were right there with Dan saying the league winners get it. Yeah, Manny's been the best player of the league winners this season. Yeah. Manager of the season then, Matt? Uh, he's going to have to go to Klopp. I can't, I can't really look past it. Was it 99 points? Well, the best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult. I think Chris Wilder did a great job with Sheffield United. Um but yeah, that's kind of managing expectations with him, certainly from what they were expected. But I just think Klopp, yeah, is insane. And for you, Joel? Yeah, hard, hard look past Klopp, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, first league title in 30 years, he, he deserves it for me. I'm going to go Chris Wilder, then, in that case, in the spirit yeah. of variation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, signing of the season, Matt. There weren't that many mm. good signings, really. No. Yeah, there was a lot more flops than, uh, than top signings. Yeah. Um, God, there's been... There's been quite a few good ones. I mean, oh, I'm thinking about as well the bad ones. One I've been really impressed with is Aaron Moy at Brighton. Um, I know they signed him on loan from Huddersfield and then made it permanent over the course of the season. I think he's been really, really key for them and certainly will be going forward, uh, especially alongside Adam Lallana. That's a great bit of business. Oh, yeah. Um, See, Aaron Moy's been pretty good. I would have to say, who else has been a brilliant signing? Um, God, it's quite a tough one. You stumped me a little bit. <laughs> I, th- I think I think I'm going to go with Aaron Moy just because screw giving it to a top player. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Joel, for you, it, it is a real struggle. I, I know a window where they've been so, well, not bad signings, but signs not having a real effect. I think the right answer probably is 
Bruno Fernandes uh, for United. Yeah. But but I'm 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 gonna try and save for the whole season to be honest. And mm. it is a bit of a technicality. So, uh, you know what? Southampton hadn't signed Ings until last summer. They had him on loan. So I'm going to say Permanent. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Ingsy. <laughs> the one who I uh, picked out, who I, I think didn't have a very uh, good impact at the start, but got it together towards the end and looks like he's going to be a really good player for the future for them, was Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Oh, Again, yeah. I know they sort of technically signed him January 2019 or whatever it was, but. Uh, but yeah, I think he was. A, he's going to be an inspired signing yeah, in the years to come. Yeah. Flop of the season, Matt. Oh, that's got to be Joel Linton. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> not I've, Sebastian Allaire. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, both of them cost forty odd, and both of them were terrible. But I think Allaire got five goals. Joel Linton got two. Yeah. Two goals in thirty whatever six appearances, about twenty odd million per goal. <laughs> I've just never seen someone plummet so hard. Yeah. I mean, there have been plenty of poor signings this season. I would put Ndombele in that bracket for Spurs. Um, and Allaire, as you said. But yeah, Joel Linton, wow. I, th- I think Ndombele for me. You, Joel? Um, I'm going to go uh, Wilf Sahar, actually. Um, I just think for, you know, Palace aren't a great team and maybe it's unfair on him because he's playing with mediocre players but I think Sahar should be doing better than four goals and five assists if he is going to be a well, they got four goals blimey yeah, yeah it's terrible pathetic yeah. <laughs> if he's going to be a 40 50 million pound player then I think he should be doing better than that to be honest yeah and I I've got to be honest with you I can't remember very much about the season now I think about it but the goal of the season for you Matt um, oh the goal of the season is I'm, I'm going to sound biased but I know the Premier League gave it as their goal of the season it was Xiong Min Sun's Excellent 90-yard oh, yeah. dribble that against good. Burnley, yeah. beating three or four players and scoring. That was that was quite special. Joel? I'm going to go with um, Kevin De Bruyne against Newcastle. That was mine as well, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's what's fine. <laughs> oh, that was a good start. The little chest of the volley, but you know, the way it like hits the crossbar as it goes in, if you, haven't, if you can't remember it, uh, listen to this, go and watch it, go give yourself a treat because it's worth it just for the sound of the crossbar. Back to Kevin De Bruyne, who lines up a shot! Brilliant from Kevin De Bruyne! Hitting the crossbar and then bouncing down and then bouncing back up into the roof of the net is oh. a very aesthetically pleasing type of goal. <laughs> I, think. Yeah. I, I would actually say as uh, Riyad, Riyad Mahrez scored an absolute beauty as well. Did he? Um, he I curled it into the top corner. Who did you absolutely batter? Everyone. Somebody. Except, <laughs> except the teams that mattered. Yeah, somebody. And, and I will say on the last day of the season... That goal from De Bruyne against Norwich with a quick little bit of footwork mm, not bad, is it? and then curling it in, that was, that was pretty sensational. <laughs> yeah, there was that tweet going around, I can't, can't remember who it was from, but someone said he had uh, Michael Jordan not getting the MVP in the last dance energy <laughs> in that game. <laughs> that was it, what a performance. <laughs> and the final question of the day comes from Miran Shamal on Twitter. He asked, we've had VAR for a whole season in the Premier League now, what do you think of it? Oh, this is a difficult decision. I've flip-flopped on it so many times over the course of the season and I'm at the point where I hate it now and wish it had never been invented. Yeah, I I honestly say no. I think the referees need to get better. The referees need to take control of the game. They need to just improve in general and I don't see how giving... I don't see how spreading out the responsibility on the decisions is ever going to help them become top referees. Um, You know, learn from their mistakes and... 
I don't know, not be punished for their mistakes, but like a player would be dropped if he did poorly, you'd go go back to the drawing board and improve yourself as a player. And the thing, the, the same thing needs to happen with referees. Relying on videos or panicking or just saying, "Oh, well, you know, we'll fix it later when I look at the screen," is not really helping them. So yeah, I'm I'm against VAR massively. Mm. Joel, for you, have you still got any hope that it can be a force for good? I, I, I do. I, I do agree with Matt Lowe completely in what he said there. He's completely right. Uh, but I, I, it's not it's not improved the game right now, but I do think it's the way it's been implemented rather than the actual mm. concept. I do, I do think if referees were better and if the people, because referees are still running VAR, they're, they're actual real-life referees yeah. running the, the technology, I, I think if they were better as well, then it would improve the prove it. But I think we need to have a look at things like the offside rule and, and how they use it in concept of that because mm. this this the, the armpits rule which it's become this season. I, you can tell why it just frustrates people. But I think they're getting more decisions right than they haven't. But the whole point of the whole enterprise was that they shouldn't be getting any decisions wrong really, yeah. should they? Yeah. But, it's, well, it's, this, um, it's this clear and obvious thing that I don't quite get. I mean, if 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 a, you know if the referees miss something clear and obvious, fine. But if you've got to watch it twenty times and decide that he's two millimeters offside, you know you can't exactly blame the ref for missing that. Yeah, it obviously wasn't clear and obvious. Yeah. Well, for me, the the big uh, bone of contention I have with it is the way they've done the sort of handball rule this season. You know, mm. I knew that the season was fucked when City had that goal disallowed against Spurs in what the second yeah. game of the oh season was that, yes. that winning goal. Yeah. I was like, yeah. this is going to be a long old season, this, <laughs> for, for the ball sort of like brushing uh, against Imeric Laporte's knuckle, I think yeah. it was. So, yeah. But is if it... it was a defender, it wouldn't have been exactly, given as a yeah. penalty. That's nonsense, isn't it? That is mental, but... <laughs> That's what it is. Hopefully they'll uh, they'll have a think about it over the short break and, uh, and, and sort it out for next season. But I don't have an awful lot of faith. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for today. The Premier League season is over. The new Premier League season starts again in 45 days, though. So there's not, not very long to wait. Uh, thank you to Matt and Joel for joining me today. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back again next week if you want to get in touch with us. In the meantime, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. All right, take care. See you next time.